0: We've been in a series for the last couple of weeks called Grace-Filled Community, and really we're taking a few weeks to look at one of our values a bit more in depth. I think it's easy to have values as a church and to say this is something that we're really excited about and then never talk about actually the outworking of that. Of that. So what does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What would it, what would it take for us as a community to lean into this, um, this value of Grace-Filled Community? And uh, so I spoke two weeks ago on um, really kind of setting up the series that grace filled people make grace filled communities. And on what <laughs> it sounds ridiculously obvious, but if we're not grace filled, then the environments that we're creating are not going to be grace filled. This just this amazing overflow, this astounding overflow of the Lord's love for us that once we really begin to inhabit it and live it out, then actually the o- overflow of it should be Gracefield community. And then Ian looked at Colossians 3 last week, and he looked at um, this passage in verses 12 to 14, really looking at a bit more of the kind of nitty-gritty of what this community would look like. And he talked about clothing ourselves. And you know, this is the passage talks about humility and all of these different attributes that we need to clothe ourselves with. And then bear with one another and forgive one another. Easier said than done. We can promise that you that if you're ever a, that if you're part of this community for a long period of time, somebody's gonna r- annoy you at some point. Like maybe today, maybe you all didn't, you know, it's just the reality, community is not easy, it's it's this concept that everybody's like, oh, I want to be a part of community, and then they experience community, and they're like, it's a little bit harder than I thought it was, it's like, do you know what, we, we have to learn to bear with one another, and forgive one another, and then it talks about love, and Ian finished by talking about love at the end, uh, put on love, now this morning I want to talk about a concept that at first thought you might be like, really, I want to talk about hospitality, and I think this is surprisingly challenging, actually, you know, as I've been kind of looking at this, this talk, because I think it's something that has been increasingly lost within our society, not only our society, but also within the church. And there's a great book by a lady called Karen Maine called Open Heart, Open Home, and she makes um, excellent points about the difference between entertaining and hospitality. She says this, Entertaining is terrible bondage. It sources human pride that demands perfection and fosters the urge to impress. It is a rigorous taskmaster which enslaves. In contrast, biblical hospitality is a freedom which liberates. Entertaining says this, I want to impress you with my beautiful home, my clever decorating and my gourmet cooking. At the heart of it, it's about me. It's about me impressing you. Uh, hospitality says do you know what? this home's not mine it's on loan from the master it's a gift I'm his servant and I want to use it for his desires Hospi- hospitality does not try to impress but to serve entertaining always puts things before people so-and-so's coming I've got to get this new thing before they come my house has to be absolutely perfect hospitality put people before things Entertaining is rooted in our pride and our homes and all that we do always have to be perfect. Hospitality is rooted in our humanity because we don't want to maintain false pretenses. People can relax in our homes, that they can be within our space. It's like, just come and be. I'm not trying to put on this show for you. There's something called Fridge rights. I don't know whether you know about that, but within our house, you know, it's a bit like, if you can find it, you can have it, but I'm probably not gonna make it for you. Jen has this thing that I, I am amazing at offering to make drinks. I'm probably one of the great, would you like a drink? And then I go downstairs to make the drink, completely forget about it and do something else. Come back half an hour, where's my drink? Got no idea. Was I making you a drink? Oh. Anyway, <laughs> there's a big, I just end up chatting to somebody, do you want a drink? <laughs> so Anyway. There's a big difference between these two attitudes, though, entertaining and hospitality. At the heart of hospitality is a desire to use all that God's given us for his glory. It's a desire to serve and not not to impress. Hospitality is not hard to do. It just requires invitation. It requires thinking of other people and putting them first. It requires generosity. So it does cost, absolutely a cost, but it is easy to do. In fact, all of us can do it. That's what's so amazing about it. Some of my greatest experiences of hospitality have been overseas. I just think we're rubbish at it in the UK, aren't we? we, It's just not, it's become worse and worse as we kind of isolated ourselves and we have these private castles that we go back to, which is our space that we're not going to invite people into. We've just got worse and worse. I remember when I was in Bolivia and I lived out there for about four months and lived in this really, really poor community in Talata, and we we went and stayed with this family. There was a whole group of us, but I remember them, they cooked us their chicken. Do you know what I mean? It was like, this was their meat probably for the, for the month, and yet in their generosity, they were like, oh, do you know what? You guys have it. We want to share it with you. It's this idea of sharing your best with other people rather than keeping your best for yourself, and... So many of my favourite memories involve eating. (laughs) Thank you, Gareth. Um, That might just tell you something about me. Sometimes I think I love food a little bit too much. But eating together is an incredible way of building community. It's so simple. What it does is it levels the playing field between people as we eat together. And there's something quite intimate about it. It, it It kind of brings down barriers between people as well. Um, we see the disciples meeting together in the temple courts. He talks about they, they went to the temple courts, and then they went to meet one another in their homes. Now, the danger is within Western society is that we consider church like this. We could call this the temple court where we meet. It's not really, is it? It's the holiday inn. But, you, you know, in some sense that we meet together in the bigger group and we have... So that would have been the same then. But if you miss the one another of meeting together in one another's homes, well, then we're only doing half of it. We're not, we haven't really caught the whole concept of what it looks like to do life with one another, to be in and around one another. In the Gospels, it appears that Jesus basically goes from one dinner party to another, from Mary and Martha's house to the house of Peter's mother-in-law. At the center of the faith is a meal, the Last Supper. The Lord's Supper, in which we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it's it's a meal. That's a picture of what stands at the heart of our faith. Simply put, hospitality is key for us in the building, the kind of church that God wants to create here in Cardiff. Hospitality breaks the consumer mentality. It stands against individualism. And that's why it's so incredibly important. Now, many people come into the church as the walking wounded. It um, could be mistrustful, defensive, hurt, alienated, angry, any number, of, any number of different reasons. But by simply welcoming people into our homes, we have an opportunity to model somewhat healthy relationships. <laughs> when I wrote this originally, I put healthy relationships. And then I thought about dinner time in the Rankin house <laughs> with three children and thought about a kind of a little camera in the corner of our room and then thought, Let's go for somewhat healthy relationships. <laughs> It'd just be embarrassing, wouldn't it? You, you know, those moments... Oh, I kind of lost it. Uh, anyway, we've got it completely together in our house, so just wanted you to know that we have never shouted at our children or one another. But... Um, <laughs> Edith Schaefer, who co-founded the Swiss community called La Brie with her famous husband, Francis, said in one of her books... For some young people, our Labrie homes were the first really happy homes they'd ever experienced. You can't imagine what the opportunity of eating, doing dishes, helping peel potatoes, being part of a conversation and family prayer in the variety of homes that any amount of lecturing or talking about home life or counselling could never do. It's a picture of life, isn't it? It's real. It's hands-on. You want to see young people and older people made whole and well? Let's practice hospitality with them. So how can we assist people to grow up as Christians to become real disciples who make decisions for God and for not for themselves? How can we get people to be other-centered? How do you get people to grow? And again, I believe that there's no better context than hospitality. We cannot grow on our own. The world would tell you the opposite, that you can grow by yourself, because it's this idea of radical individualism. That is what our world is about, it's the message that, you know, you're your own person, Be who you ever, be who you want to be, just be authentic. Do you know what? We grow in community. The the Christian message would stand against that of the world. It's like, no, we grow by sharpening one another, by living together. Our homes were never meant to be private castles. The number of profound chats I've personally had around the kitchen table, just where people kind of begin to open up, don't they, over a cup of tea or over a meal, and suddenly it begins to come out. Only through the practice of hospitality can we be the kind of church that God desires to build here in Cardiff. Can you imagine what would happen if this room completely caught this concept? Could you imagine how radically welcoming that community would become? Because that's the picture. We're not there. We, I'm not saying that we're there. I'm saying that this idea, this picture of Gracefield community, is something that we long to be because it's so radically inclusive, and that's the message of the gospel. Is that you know? And it's in the, within that context of people feeling loved and honoured and trusted and sitting in, around your kitchen table that suddenly they start to tell you about their life, and they're like, "Do you know what? I've not got it all together. I don't know what's going on in this place." And we listen, and hopefully we don't try to. <laughs> give all the answers, but we listen. And then, then in that context, somebody tells me, what do you think I should do? I'm like, well, do you know what? Have you thought about this? It suddenly begins to... I guess what I'm saying is that hospitality is a key part of Christian spirituality. We cannot divorce the two. If you want to be a considered a God-centered person from a biblical perspective, practice hospitality. There's an amazing story in Genesis 18, if you've got your Bibles and want to grab them. It should just come up on the screen as well. I'll give you, the great thing about Genesis is it's really easy to find. It's right at the end of your Bibles. Um, no, it's right at the beginning, if you don't know. But The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. I always think that's awesome. Mamre. Reminds me of Thundercats. Um, Mumrah. Anyway, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he, hunt- he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, the answered, Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now, we find in this text, Abraham's probably hot and tired because it says, well, um, he's next to his tent in the heat of the day. So the guests who come are inconvenient guests. I don't know that you've ever experienced inconvenient des- guests. Who's that? What kind of time's this? <laughs> They're coming at a time when Abraham would normally be taking his siesta, something we need to bring back. He doesn't know who the guests are, but instead of sitting on his pillow, Abraham practices Middle Eastern hospitality, And it's a great text on how we ought to practice hospitality. Abraham doesn't just sit on his settee and tell, yeah, the door's open, come on in. He runs to his guests and greets them. Now, that might be a little bit too much for us. Let's saunter over, how are you doing? Let's go a little way. I think it would be out of character, wouldn't it, if we went that far. But a warm welcome is the beginning point of practicing hospitality. And he communicates to his guests that they are honoring him by letting him serve them. Again, this is a a shift in our mindset. He doesn't see his guests as an inconvenience or burden. They brought honor to him. It's interesting. It says in in verse three, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought that you may all all wash your feet and rest. Let me give you something to eat so that you can be refreshed. But what Abraham doesn't know is it, Who it is that he's welcoming, he's welcoming the Lord and two angels. So we read in verse 9, Where's your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Here's the idea if you're a person interested in experiencing more of God in your life, do you regularly say to yourself, Do you know what? I want a deeper relationship with God. I want more contact with God. I want more of God's kingdom in my life. I want a closer relationship with the Lord. How can you find more of God and more of God's blessing in your life? Part of it involves the practice of a devotional life, absolutely spending time in the scriptures, spending time praying, and other parts making space for the fresh experience of God. But I believe if you're a person who wants to encounter more God more often, engage in this practice of hospitality. Hebrews 13.2 reads like this. It says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Not... Only did Abraham and have an encounter with God through the practice of hospitality, hospitality, so did his nephew Lot in Genesis 19, so did Rahab, Rahab the prostitute, so did Gideon's parents, so did widows who served the prophets Elijah and Elisha. If we open up our lives to God by opening up our lives to each other, not only was the hospitality the practice of the patriarchs and the great people of the Old Testament, but It was the practice of Jesus. We find Jesus in the Gospels constantly experiencing hospitality, the hospitality of Mary and Martha, Simon the Pharisee, and so on. Jesus' practice of radical hospitality actually becomes a leadership requirement in the early church. It's not one that's often talked about, is it? It's like, oh, really? In 1 Timothy 3.2, it says this, now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, it's there, hospitable. Likewise, in Titus 1 8 regarding an elder, we read this rather he must be, they must be hospitable, one who loves what's good, who's self controlled, upright, and disciplined. Hospitality is not just a requirement of eldership, but the practice of hospitality becomes a New Testament obligation of every Christian. In Romans twelve thirteen, the apostle Paul's going through a list of instruction concerning the way that, as Christian community, uh, we ought to do Christian community with each other, and he says this: share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Likewise, we read in one Peter four nine: offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's there throughout the scriptures, again and again. And in Hebrews 13, the verse we looked at a little while ago, we read, keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. The Greek word for hospitality, which I know you were just thinking about, I wonder what it is in the Greek. James, why don't you tell me? It's funny, I will tell you what it means in the Greek, being a great Greek scholar myself. Ian will tell you the Hebrew. Um... Philoxenia is a Greek compound word. Philo means love. And love of. Philoxenia, sorry, means the love of xenos, which is stranger. So basically, hospitality means the love of a stranger. And it's here that Jesus' model formed the thinking of the early church. For Jesus, the distinctive of hospitality was not only that you opened up your home and your life to your friends, those that you were already in relationship with. But that you open up your home and your life to the stranger, to people that you don't yet know. That you live in an ever-increasingly large circle. And then, just to really kind of push this point, this is where it gets interesting. Hospitality is the standard by which you and I will be judged eternally. Just going to let that sink in for a moment. Hospitality is the standard by which you and I will be judged eternally. Look at Matthew 25 with me. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus tells us that in the end he will come to separate his people, who he calls the sheep, from the goats. That's the principle of the passage, those who are living in rebellion to him. And what will be the criteria by which these sheep and goats will be separated? The criteria will be our practice of hospitality. Look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and f- and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go on to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these brothers of mine, you did for me. We will be judged by our practice of hospitality, not just our practice with our friends, but for those who cannot repay us. And who will be separated eternally from God? Those who have no room for the people of God. We read in verse 44 regarding those who are eternally separated from God. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger needing clothes or sick and in prisoner did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. That is mega challenging, isn't it? Your practice of hospitality and my practice of hospitality is the defining mark of whether we really have the life of Jesus in us. If Jesus is living in our hearts, if he's living in your heart, he will cause you to be a welcomer of others. The fruit of whether you have the real Jesus inside you is seen in how how open and welcoming you are. Now, admittedly, some of us by nature find this more easy than others. Do you know what I mean? Some people are just massively expansive people in the way that they are. So within that, I do realize that. But, But this is what the passage is saying, and I don't think we can get away from the text of Scripture here. So some of us will say, well, why do I have to reach out to the stranger? Why? My life's very full of relationships. Why do I have to open my home and my life to a new person? Well, a simple response might be Jesus commands you to in Luke 14. Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, I've never given a luncheon in my life. (laughs) Just want to put it out there. So when you're giving your next luncheon, it sounds glorious, doesn't it? I'm just picturing that luncheon right now. Luncheon meat. No, maybe not. when (laughs) When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends. Literally, do not only invite your friends. Brothers or rich neighbors, if you do, they may invite you back and say you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what is it that's distinctive about Christian hospitality? Is that you offer it to people who cannot and often will not repay you. It's not about you getting something back. That person may be poor, they may be socially awkward. It might be difficult. The strange that we're to all welcome is the person without something. It may be that they're without relationship and what you're offering in that moment is acceptance and love. And you're just sitting there and you're saying, come and have dinner, come and have lunch, come in. The first step in practicing hospitality and making room for someone in our home is making room for a new person in our hearts. I believe that we often simply have to pray, God, stretch my heart. Stretch me. For some reason or not, or other, my heart has shrunken up. Lord, stretch me so that it can be touched again. Why do we object to practicing hospitality? Because we don't feel like we have enough. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough space. We're pulled in a million directions. When you feel like you don't have enough, when you feel like saying, I can't open up my life to another person, I have nothing left to give, that is a great indicator that you yourself need to be filled up by the Holy Spirit, by the Lord. The Lord is going to have to expand you again. In your humanness, you're like, I'm done. That's when God comes in. And he's like, I want to expand your heart. If you were to picture what I'm talking about today, I'm talking about expand your heart. Only the Lord can do that. If we try and muster it up, it would just be self work It's like, oh, I need to muster this. It's like, Lord, open me again. When you feel like you don't have enough, often it's a sign that your own soul is not being fed by God. And it is, of course, okay to admit that you have limits. As Edith Schaefer once said, it's not a sin to confess that we have limits. But even though you cannot do everything, you can do something. You can start somewhere in opening up the space that you live, whatever that looks like, whether a small flat or a massive house or a shared house, to another, to other people. And do you know that God in the Bible promises to supply us? It wasn't that storehouse story that, Justin told remarkable. what what was the power in that story is that it, we didn't have it it's that we had to believe that God would provide that's why it's remarkable. it's been like, hey we've got all of this stuff no it's like you have need, we're going to pray about it and we're going to pray that the Lord provides. That is a picture of faith that's exactly the same picture picture with hospitality. It's like, look, I don't have it. It's like, no, you're going to have to rely on the Lord. The Lord is going to have to provide, whatever that looks like. When we share whatever little we have, a little bit of space, a little bit of time, a little bit of food, a little bit of money, when we share the little bit, we have another, sorry, we have with another, God promises to multiply. I spoke on this in the loaves and the fishes when I was talking about, you know, even starting this site and what we're, excited about the lord doing we we've got this ridiculous idea that the lord and it's not ridiculous we think the lord's spoken but it's ridiculous in the human it's like we want to see sites across this city by 2023 we want to see five sites across this city it's like this is central number one this is number two and then the east the west the south wherever you know it's like we have ideas of where that's going to be but ultimately we're sitting there going lord you're going to have to provide lord we we have our little bit of fish and our little monkey piece of bread and we put it in the hands of the Lord and the Lord provides. It's exciting. It's exciting to be a part of that. Um, on a side note, sorry, I hadn't planned on saying this, but in two weeks, we're going to announce the total that we've got for the giving campaign as well. Um, we're looking to raise 160,000. And again, that's why I'm talking it's a lot of money, but actually creating space for people, for those yet to come, involves finances, it's like this place costs, refreshments costs, all of it. But we're excited because it's for those yet to come. This is the vision. This uh, this picture of hospitality is not just individual, it's corporate. Because it's very easy just to be like, it's about my house. You know, the people that are serving in these groups today, the people that have done the setup, the people, they are serving this community for those yet to come. They are making a way. And then suddenly what happens is those next people come into the community and they serve the way for the next group of people to come in. That is a picture of what we're building here. We are not building the 10% do everything. It's just not, it's not scriptural. It's like we are a community and we work together to pull this thing off. And that's exciting seeing people that have been on the fringe suddenly come in and be like, yes, I can do that. Yes, I can use this skill. Yes, I can put my shoulder to the plow. Yes, I've been gifted in this area. It's like, it's a wonderful thing to see people start to use their gifts and released into the fullness of what God has for them Ran right over. I've got no idea where I am. You might be saying, my house is a mess. I live in a small apartment. I don't have any great furniture. I'm just a student. I've got no money. Just do something simple. Do something. Start somewhere. I believe that a major issue in our limiting hospitality to others is simply pride. We don't want others to see us unless everything in our lives and everything in our home is perfect. The pro- practice of hospitality is not only saying to people, come as you are, you'll be loved. The practice of hospitality is saying, come into my home and my life as I am. Not only come as you are, but come to me as I am. Can you see? Isn't that profound? Come as you are, but come to me as I am. I am not going to pretend that I'm somebody I'm not, but you're welcome into the mess. <laughs> I don't need to pretend. What we have to offer is relationship and connection. Sometimes we have the opposite problem, however. if it's My house is really nice and I don't want a bunch of strangers trampling all over my stuff. Hospitality really is the test of our hearts. That's why we're going to be judged based on our practice of hospitality because it's such a great indicator of the state of our hearts. See, the key thing for us is being, in being able to practice hospitality without a grudging spirit is to value a people above our things. We have to keep coming back to that. If you're going to open up your home, some of your things are going to be ruined, and that is okay. A ring on your expensive coffee table that was left because somebody accidentally put his or her cup there. How dare they? Not on the mat. Rude. It's okay. And every time you look at that really annoying coffee stain, You sit there and you go, I'm practicing hospitality. Every time you look at your rug that has a really annoying mud stain that does not come out, you sit there and go, I am practicing the biblical art of hospitality. Can you see? If your house is not getting messed up, it's because nobody's coming into it. If your carpets are not a bit worn, it's because there's nobody in it. A stain on your sofa, a stain on your rug... A place where a spill drink, is okay. God sees it, and he will, re- he will reward you for valuing people above things. You know, whatever excuse we raise for not practicing hospitality, you're a single man, you can't cook, you don't have time, it's not your gift, I challenge you to think again. The Bible doesn't say this is an optional thing. This is for everybody. So how do we practice it? I think that hospitality is a mindset, a mindset to bless and serve. It's using whatever God has given you to serve those around us. So maybe start by thinking about what God's blessed you with. We just start and we're like, God, what have you blessed me with? And then you start thinking, oh, well, you blessed me with this and you this. For some of you, God's given you an amazing house. For others, it's the ability to cook. You might be a great cook. For others, the ability to bring different groups of people together and make them feel at home. You make people feel relaxed. I believe that there is a biblical gift of hospitality. In other words, some people are fantastic at this, but it's something that we can all do. It's about welcoming people in. It's about breaking down cliques. Always invite an extra person. Be inclusive. Invite a group for lunch. I think that hospitality occurs inside and outside the church. It's not just for people inside the church. Invite your neighbors around for dinner or your friends from work. They won't be used to it because our society is so unwelcoming. What do you mean? You're inviting me into your house. It's radically countercultural. this. That's why it's so easy. Would you like to come round to my house? I've cooked some food and uh, I've got another plate. Do you want to have something to eat? Really? It's so easy. The simple act of welcoming people will open doors into people's lives. Start asking God, who is he highlighting? Lord, who do you want me to be a blessing to? The amazing thing about hospitality is that we can all do it. So many people disqualify themselves from serving and blessing others. Imagine how powerful a culture it creates in a commu- community when people are looking to bless and serve one another. Did you come here thinking today, I wonder who I could bless and serve today? Rather than I'm going to church to receive. It's like, yes, hopefully you do because you're in the context of Christian community. But, but ultimately, Lord, is there a word that you've got for me to give to somebody today Is there something that I no longer use that could bless somebody else in this community? And I'm not just talking about this community. I'm talking beyond. It's a lifestyle of blessing. It's a lifestyle of generosity. It's a lifestyle of giving away. And Jesus has modeled it to us. And he said, this is what you are to be about. You are to be a grace-filled people and to be a grace-filled community. Why don't we stand